Hey guys, it is Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. No, summer is pretty much done and over, and it's no fall will be here, and the cool temperatures will be here as well. So get it over to Leon Tailoring. They can keep you nice and warm without burning a hole in your pocket. So maybe a little bit of a heavier jacket, or maybe a nice long sleeve shirt, or for ladies, maybe a nice heavier blouse, or heavier skirt, or dress. No matter what it is, you can get over at Leon Tailoring. Larry, Norm, Kim, and Judy, they'll take care of you like they've been taking care of me. Almost 20 years since I've been here in Indianapolis, they've been here longer than 100 years. So swing up by Leon Tailoring and tell them Abdul Sincha, Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. So when we usually have this in the library, I said, no, we're going to have it here. So thank you all for coming. So we have the annual report. Um, Catherine and her team do an excellent job. Some big things this year, cameras in the courtroom. I'm sure you're all interested in that. That was way overdue um, in coming. I still didn't have all my judges 100% involved in it. But um, we live streamed during COVID. I don't know if any of you ever looked online. You could watch it. I was wondering if just parents of the judges were watching sometimes. But um, I was always, always very open when I was a trial court judge with regard to have people coming. I think people need to see. I think we're the least understood branch of government. So I'm excited. And our judges, are, it's happening. You know, judges are having it and seeing the skies and falling by doing it. And you're all doing it very good job working with the court. So I was excited to have that. I thought that was a big thing that uh, we did last year. So I'm just open for questions on the report. Um, I feel like I asked this every year, but the, uh, the bar passage rate went down again uh, from that one year. Open book, open, open book. book high. Yeah. Um, and, and we just heard a study committee uh, a couple of weeks ago, Justin Porter talked about, about right. the lawyer shortages across Indiana, particularly in rural communities. Are we out of solutions on the bar passage rate? At least, are we out of solutions about how? Well, to it ticked up this year compared to last year, but I'm very concerned that um, you know I think it was about 70 percent this year, and I think it's sort of a holistic working. We are responsible by the Constitution for the admission and discipline. The admission would be the bar passage rate. Looking at that, the bar is coming out with a new next generation bar exam that's going to be a slightly different format. We're studying that. We're putting together, and we'll be releasing it soon, sort of a, um, a group to look at the future of the profession. Um, there's a lot that's going on in other states with regard to limited license attorneys, licensed paralegals, non-lawyer ownership of law firms, um, things like diploma privilege. I mean, I think, I think we have to look at that. The attorney shortage that um, our, our CAO talked about is real in Indiana. About losing Valparaiso was devastating to our profession. A lot of our prosecutors, public defenders, child welfare attorneys, sort of our public servants came from there. You, you think about somebody graduating from law school, if they have a $100,000, $125,000 debt, how do you get a job where you make 60000 a year in, in debt service your um, loans? So, yes, this you'll be hearing a lot. I just, I just got appointed to a national commission called the um, Commission on Legal Education and Mission Reform, the conference the Chief Justice is putting together. Uh, Oregon, I believe, just did away with um, requiring, always requiring the bar. Um, we have to look at that. I mean, we're responsible for quality. We want to make sure when somebody goes into an attorney's office that they're going to get quality representation. But then we've got to look at who's coming in, and if, you know, if a third of them or 30% aren't passing the bar, at what point is the system breaking down um, that they're not? So... That, that's a keep you up at night um, issue. But we are looking at sort of a statewide convening, um, putting together some of, some of the 
uh, bar profession. We just recently had a summit. We invited um, Senator Rogers, even though she's not a lawyer. She's very much, and she looks at it. We invited Beth Green from development, the Department of Workforce Development. And we put a team together, some big city lawyers, rural lawyers, like, what can we do to beef up? So we're looking at that. I'm trying to get as much information as I can nationally, what's working in other communities. Um, and I think there's a lot of news to come on this front. Uh, thank you, Justice. Uh, on the issue of cameras and courtrooms, this sort of ties into that. Uh, with all the sort of you know, distrust of government these days, uh, I think cameras and courts will help sort of alleviate some of that mistrust, mis or fear. Well, we've had like the Indian Supreme Court's been live streaming our oral arguments for a long period of time, and I think it's I think there's just a real education lesson to seeing how justice is done, what the rule of law means. Um, what, so when you see how judges break down complicated cases, small cases, treat litigants with respect, make sure that everybody has a right to be heard, I think there's more, just more trust. It's not something that people standing outside the courtroom thinking that the case has been prejudged that I don't stand a chance. I mean, that's the worst of what we can do. So I think we all, in all three branches of government, need to do more um, with regard to transparency, um, just get our story out. You know, I just spent an afternoon at Shortridge meeting with the students, um, talking about the Constitution, and, you know, one by one, telling them what the law was. You know, what does it mean to them? How does it play out in their lives? And I you know, we're encouraging our judges and lawyers to get out more with regard to that civics education piece. You could, you can go ask 20 people around the state house, who's your chief justice? They're not going to say they know who the chief justice is. Um, but if we don't have the um, the power of dispute resolution in the courts, what is what is our what does our world look like? And we had 1.2 million, I think, last year, or near that, cases filed in Indiana courts. We have 6.8 million people in Indiana. There's two sides on the case. What institution is used more than the courts? So um, public trust and waning public trust and confidence um, is a big issue. We also speak through our opinions. We also speak with regard to um, predictability and consistent, consistency in, in how we rule. We've got three levels of appellate review in Indiana. Um, so. I think we have a story to tell. I look at our uh, Court of Appeals. They've done 700 oral arguments around the state. I think of the tens of thousands of people that just won a national award that have seen an appellate court in, um, in reality. And the students are just odd. We just went to Triune University. We took the whole Supreme Court. We had, I think, 500 students um, bust in. One, I, loved, I love it when we take oral arguments on the road, and I love to do it on a, on a college campus and bring high school students in so they get a chance to be in a high school, on a college campus. Um, and the questions they ask are fantastic. So I, I went to law school. I, don't know if you, I never met a lawyer or a judge before I went to law school. So I think it's important that they see us and, and we make ourselves um, accessible to them. So what has the, the reaction been from the public with respect to televising court proceedings? Because most people think, as you know, it's like law and order, so it's like, no, it's more yeah. like two months of record. Right. Some, well, it's like paint drying. I mean, I always said, people say, open your courtroom. And I used to have the media come to my court. I said, well, you can only come. I said, you've got to come spend, give me a little bit of time. You know, just come pick a day. Because I had juvenile bench, which was just hopping with societal issues. Um, 
And you know, I, I think it's been I think it's been favorable. Um, the judges that have done it, and we've had several of them that have reached out to Catherine. Catherine did a training uh, for the judges, so don't be worried about the media. Get that relationship because you know I've been an attorney and judge for 41 years. I had a relationship with my local media. Actually, Kath, Catherine was um, from the local TV station. She used to dog me. She's asked for FOIA requests. It's like, darn, Catherine. Um, so, but I think I think it's important. Um, and I think it's I think it's going to be well received. Now, there's things that you can't do. Like we don't we want to protect child victims, victims of violence. There's a lot of sensitive personal information that comes out in court. But some of these, I think you're going to see more and more more and more uh, courtrooms. Are you getting good? Uh, what kind of feedback are you getting from the judges? Um, I know it's really. I mean, we're just starting. Right. Well, I'm getting good feedback. I mean, there's like Judge Larry Medlock. I'm going to use him. He's one of the first ones. He opened his court up. I think Sean, um, Judge Pearson up in Tippecanoe County. Judge Medlock, I think, is in Washington County. They loved it. They loved it. You know, you can kind of control it. We don't, you know, you can't have your cameras all over the, you know, you've got to, you make sure the jury. But I, have you had anything negative, Catherine? I, I haven't had one negative comment make its way to me, but... People were afraid that the witnesses would play to the camera. And I think that once you're involved in a court case, sometimes a bomb could go off and you wouldn't know it's because you're so into the moment. I was one of the pilots. I had cameras in my courtroom up in um, Lafayette because we were taking the video recording and sending it up on appeal as opposed to. So there was a TV, and as soon as I, so they can watch, they're watching themselves testify, and I just turned the TV the other way, and then nobody else. I had the camera, my cameras in my courtroom for about six months. People, you know, this is their day in court. They, they really want to be heard, and I did not find enough. I thought somebody was playing to um, the fact it was media. I'd call them up and say, stop it. We just had, we've experienced some pushback. So yeah. That's why I wanted to ask what the general And I think it's going to take, yeah, yeah. And don't stop trying, um, because and I think as, as these, ha you know, we just did a big training, and the comments, I read the comments from training the judges, and Catherine had a team, and we actually had a team maybe six years ago. We, we ought to bring the media. Did we bring the media in? We need to bring the media in to come talk to the judges. We're going to be in Indianapolis next year. We'll invite you to come talk to the judges on that. And I think once that, that relation, those relationships get going, I think it'll open up. Um, they're always they're always worried about that that moment or that gotcha. We're trying to get them over that. Um, you know, we like we have a hundred. I told courts I really want them to put their calendars online one so you can see it, right? So and so we have 160 courts so far putting their calendars online. They're all scared people are going to be up in my business. It's like just get your calendar online, you know, just get your calendar online. So those ways that we can make it easier, and that's why it's so nice to have Catherine, who's worked in your area be our um, public information officer, hey, this would help us if you do this, she can bring the idea to us. So you've got a voice that'll say, this would help us. Like, but, but 160 courts in Indiana have their calendars on, and I, I, want, it, I want it to get to 100%. What's the fear with, since I'm scared to I don't know, I don't know what they're, I don't know. Uh, maybe there's just, you know, there's okay, such, yeah, or the distrust, you know, that, that gotcha moment. 
I don't know what it is. We're trying to break down that. It's hard for them. For the, we got a lot of comments when we decided to do it. And I probably had 25% of the judges, like the sky will fall if we let that in. Like we, we're, this is the way we've always done things. But, um, you know, we've, we've gone paperless in a short period of time, right? You, you, you all get to look on my case. You never, Think about it before. I mean, we had 65 million page views. And unlike the federal system, it's free. Right? So we can't possibly let people see our court cases. Well, yes, you can. You can let people see your court cases. And, and I think people are using it. Like, we now have a portal um, for, you know, unrepresented litigants to go on there and see all theirs. And, you know, how can we make, we have to constantly improve that access to, to um, you know, to, to, again, to increase public trust. We just did, um, we worked with uh, Professor Quintania, Quintania from IU who did a report on remote access. And a lot of people sort of intuitively thought, well, people, you know, people aren't going to, they don't like it. They're not going to like it. They love it. People love the fact that they can attend court. So just because you think in your mind, you've got to get the data to back up. But I think the, I think the, I'm a big proponent, and they hear my voice, I'm a big proponent of allowing um, media in to sort of tell the story of what goes on in the courtrooms. So I, and I think, I think it's moving generally that way. The juries, yeah, and I don't want juries targeted. You know, right now it's so many, so much vitriolic. You know, I um, have just a number of fans that contact me quite often, and it's just and you're saying the most unbelievable things. Would you ever say this to a judge? Would you ever, you know, say this? So, uh, I think people are fearful of getting out there, you know, your family information, your, um, and jurors don't want to be hounded with regard to how they um, decide or not decide a case, or want to make sure that witnesses don't feel that their piece is going to show up on FaceTime, and then they're going to be, you know, we have, I mean, on the Indiana Supreme Court, there's not a day I don't have a murder case. There's not a day I don't have a molest case. I mean, we do about 30 to 40 cases that we're deciding if we're going to take a week, and we, these are hardcore cases that um, they can have some repercussions, and I have felt those repercussions in my time as Chief Justice. Are we more, uh, we're sort of in the post-pandemic universe, more or less Zoom hearings across Indiana, or is it still the same? Or? It's hybrid. We issued a rule, Rule 14, that said that the, you know you can have if it's not evidentiary, you can have it um, remote with the judges, assuming the judges in a court in the courtroom, and if it's evidentiary, you can have it remote if the parties agree or there's good cause. Um, and people are liking that. I mean, the study is it's a really interesting study with a long survey. And what do you like about it? And it's very generational. You know, you get the people in their 60s like me, and then you get the generation behind, and you get the generation behind it. We're probably, the 60s and up are the most resistant to it. Um, the younger generation love it. They love the fact they can step out of their workplace, go on their phone, and, and, and do their pretrial. And, and we need to look at that. Um, so that's also increased uh, witness participation, so to speak. People actually will show up for a Zoom here and they're supposed to be show up. Right. Um, the, well, we're doing things like text messaging that we didn't do before. The text messaging really helps. Um, and then the, um, yes, people are at the show up rates higher. Tom, you had a question. Are there any suggestions you have for the legislature or the executive branch on addressing that things that, things that the state can do otherwise? 
there's a model in the Dakotas, I think it's South Dakota, where they sort of do a loan forgiveness. You go and work in a rural community, um, and if you stay there a certain period of time, sort of like what they're doing in the medical field and the nursing shortage, they're looking at that. And, you know, people will say, oh, we don't need more lawyers, right? You know, what Shakespeare say if they only talk about the first part of that line? Um, but, you know, when, you're, when your individual liberties and rights and your access, you're a veteran, you need benefits, you've got a housing issue, when you want to get child support, your grandparent raising, their grandchildren need to get their children in school, I mean, attorneys um, and having that access is really important. Plus, you know, just to get public defenders. I mean, you, you, have, you, have the you have a constitutional right to an attorney, and we're not having enough public defenders with regard to the cases that we have. Um, I was, one thing I noted, just looking at, uh, you know, trends over the last five years, the Supreme Court has averaged about 80, around 80 uh, opinions a year, and dropped down to 58 in this latest report. Is that just a... Is there anything to that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I used to, you know, I used to be like 17, 20 opinions a year. I think we have, we had a dip in the amount of cases transmitted to us right after COVID. Um, and, you know, we all have, you know, you have five voices and, you know, you've got to get you know, three of us to decide to take a case. So I may want to take more with regard to issues of first impression or more criminal cases with regard to looking at state constitutional law and that. But you've got to get three of us in order to, to have that case go. So, I mean, it, it could be the turnover of the court. It could be um, the type of cases. We have a really strong court of appeals, I mean, writing some solid cases. We've got a lot of longevity in the court of appeals. Um, so I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of factors. Um, but it is, it's sort of, they keep coming. You know, you just, we have, you know, you get done with one week's cases and you're trying to work it. And there's just, there's a lot. I've seen a real uptick. So I think you'll see more. Um, next year. And then again, looking at those trends, um, we've started to trend down. We've been trending down over the last four years leading into this report with um, attorney discipline cases that have been disposed of uh, per year. And then we saw kind of a spike back up in the other direction uh, in this report. Are you concerned about that? Oh, the, um, it always ran, I think it went down to maybe 1,200 at one point, or it was up to 1,800, and it went down to 1,200. Um, there's a lot of reasons why some people thought they're just mad. They're just filing and they're summarily dismissed. The amount of cases that are taken that there's merit to have stayed around the same. I also think there's a real benefit to the fact that the disciplinary commission is doing advisory opinions and doing guidance. Catherine, could you grab me some water? <coughs> I don't have COVID. I had COVID three weeks ago. You don't need to print that. But so I know I don't have it right now. And then... Uh on the subject of attorney discipline, I've got to ask about the Attorney General's reaction to the disciplinary um, opinion that was written last week by the court. Uh, <laughs> contrary to what was written in the disciplinary commission, or the disciplinary opinion, he didn't seem to take any uh, account for his actions and seemed defiant that he had done really nothing wrong. Um, is there value to re-looking at that decision, or how do you feel about what he said? We, um, I can't comment on a case that's, that's pending or maybe pending. You know, the way the process, if somebody has a complaint, they file it with the disciplinary commission. The disciplinary commission investigates it, makes a recommendation, and the court rules on it. So there's a pretty strict procedure. If there's a conditional agreement, the parties have agreed. There's an affidavit where it's set out what the agreement is. Um, 
And that particular case was a 3-2 with regard to accepting the agreement. Um, and then if you reject the agreement, you say why you're rejecting the agreement. It's not really a full opinion. And when you do it, you say why you're doing it. So that's the procedure. And if another issue would come up, um, then that issue will come up and it would go through the disciplinary commission before it would come to us. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.